Thank you for listening to Radio Never Apart. I'm your host, Jordan King. Radio Never Part is a monthly interview feature, which we started at the beginning of 2020, available as part of the online Never Apart magazine. Never Apart is a non-profit organization started in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, with the mission of initiating social change and spiritual awareness through cultural programming. For the most up-to-date information on upcoming exhibitions, past exhibition recaps, as well as the Legends series of in-person interviews and other artists' talks, visit neverapart.com. The focus of our 2020 podcast season is to speak with both LGBTQ pioneers as well as allies of the community about their lives and experiences as performers, artists, and collaborators who helped shape expressive, creative worlds in nightlife. My guest on this episode is Blaine Charles. Blaine is a New York-based interior decorator, personal wardrobe stylist, and practicing Buddhist for over 30 years. He has a very deep connection to Montreal. He lived there for a period of time in the early 1990s, which you'll hear about in this episode. And he helped launch an ACT UP chapter as the AIDS epidemic was just unfolding. Blaine and I met on a recent lobby day at the New York State Capitol of Albany when over 700 people affiliated with Chicanies, which stands for the Community Healthcare Association of New York State, met with state politicians. We were with the team from Callan Lord, which is an LGBTQ health clinic in New York. Hello. Hello, Blaine Charles. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today. Absolutely. It's with the utmost of gratitude that I get to share some time with you over the airwaves. Yeah, right. Okay, take us back to the very beginning. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, in, Brooklyn, in East New York, Brooklyn, but my family moved to Charleston, South Carolina when I was 10, and we had a home built in uh, Woodside Manor. My family's religion was Jehovah's Witness, and um, after being excommunicated, um, I made my dad pay for me to move back to New York. 
Shears, um, The Mirror, um, which is a newspaper, um, did a lot of uh, articles about the work we were doing. So it was a really great way for me to like solidify my self-worth and to contribute back to the community. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I loved was, you know, I was able to express myself fashion-wise too, because I was known for my high goatee suede boots and my Daisy Duke shorts and my halter top and my pink triangle on a shaved head. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so pretty, pretty much out there. Wow. Yeah, it was great. And Montreal has a real vibe and energy and culture to it. Oh, and there's yeah. Sort Definitely. of a like dynamic fashion sense, you know, especially within and the Canada. Art, the art scene is amazing there too, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really always been sort of known for that that sort of richness of culture. The World Ball was an event that... Yes, the World Ball for Unity. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was a fundraiser that we started the same time that uh, the Black and Blue was started. So there was um, those two big events um, coexisted and raised a lot of money for the community and a lot of awareness for the community. Um, the thing that was really wonderful about the World Ball for Unity in particular was um, my co-producer, Luke Designier, was called Quebec Bar, and I was from America, from New York, English. So um, that union really solidified the work that we were trying to do in bringing the community together. And the Love Ball was basically what was the inspiration. The Love Ball was an HIV AIDS fundraiser and elements of it were taken sort of from the ballroom community and there was voguing yeah. and there was a fashion element yeah. and there was a panel of judges. But it was, you know, really it was essentially just like this incredible event and, and really like loving and just incredible you know, names in New York nightlife were all, were all involved, and yes, and yes. it's continued think, on up until I think in the last couple of years it was still going on, but it had relocated to Vienna. We just had the Love Ball three last last winter here in New York um, at Gotham Hall. So the World so Ball in Montreal was stemmed from that. Yeah, and the the, the same idea: panel of judges, artists, local artists in the community made the trophies. Um, houses coming together to respond to categories and to compete in the, uh, in the different categories to compete for the trophies. And um, it was just really great to see the community come together. Before we came up with this idea, it was a lot of division in the community. Like, lesbians couldn't go on the, couldn't go on the gay bar, and the leather guys didn't want to hang out with the drag queens. And, you know, so there was a lot of um, division. And, and so we wanted to come up with something that would bring everybody together and celebrate everybody in one space. Amazing. And then you were in Montreal until the mid-1990s. You told me about a shift then in your life that happened where you relocated to Europe. Oh, I couldn't take the winters in Montreal anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I jumped on the opportunity to um, work in Paris. Um, I was performing at KOX and the owners of um, The Queen on Champs-Élysées in Paris came to Montreal for one pride and saw my performance and asked me to come out and do a show for them at the Queen in Paris and, and that one show turned into a job and an apartment and <laughs> um, basically what happened was I stayed in Paris for the winters and then I would come to Montreal in the summer to coordinate and put on the World Ball for Unity. Which is really the way to do it. I mean, I have to truly <laughs> applaud you. That is like the kind of life that is, you know, sought after. Uh, yeah. Paris is so incredible and so magical. I was employed by the Queen, but I mean, I performed at Moulin Rouge, Folly Pigal, Le Pivillage, the Kit Kat, and then we did some traveling outside of Paris for big events. 
magical. What was the sort of the performance vibe then? What kind of like what kind of shows were you a part of? Well, um, with my modern dance background, I came up with an identity. Um, my stage name is Mocha Sheena, M O C H A S H E E N A, and the, the tagline was "Bubbling Brown Boutique." And <laughs> my look was um, a platform shoes, only wore g-strings, and big wig, big eyelashes, and great bright bright red lips. Amazing. The 90s were really sort of boundary-breaking drag. There was more traditional style of doing drag, but there was also, like, through the club kid movement and stuff. I mean, that was a huge influence on me, and I didn't really sort of come of age until, you know, the late 1990s. Like, lately, I've come out as non-binary, but back then, I didn't know what non-binary was. But my look was very androgynous. You couldn't say drag queen because I wasn't in a dress or... You know, you saw that I was a man, um, yeah. but it was still it was very androgynous and very asexual. It was just about expression yeah. and, and not having to categorize it, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of Kevin Aviance and, you know, other yeah, people Kevin in sort Aviance of that vein like, yeah, who were totally, yeah. giving an yeah. incredible energy and a performance and it was about all that. It wasn't necessarily about a, exactly. sort of a definition. Exactly. And from your time in Paris, you spent time in other parts of Europe. It's interesting because I was based in Paris for those four summers, right? And then um, uh, I would perform in London and I made a good connection um, with a dance group in London called Pushka and then um, traveled around, checked out the agencies and was able to land um, um, two agencies, actually. One was for fashion modeling with um, ugly race models and the uh, commercial modeling was uh, broadcast, broadcast models. And, mm-hmm. and I was in their books and my roommates who I lived with who were also from Montreal, um, one was a makeup artist for the agency and the other one, well, we modeled a lot together. So it was very interesting. Um, and it was just like that. The amount of work, the volume of work in London was much more than it was in Paris. So that's why I wanted up staying there so long. It was very successful. You relocated then to London more or less right. permanently or you were sort of based there? Yeah. But still... Yeah, I moved to London Yeah, in 90. And then I was there until 2000, and then I went back to New York. And tell tell me a little bit about the Pushka chapter. It was like a traveling artist extravaganza, everything from circus acts to amazing drug queens to um, club kids, go-go dancers like myself, and set design, costume designers. Um, it was just like a really, it was like a show on the road. We just brought it, we normally would work either in Ibiza for the summer or Riccioni for the summer. Hmm. Um, but we basically we would get booked out for the whole summer, so we would go and everything was paid for, com- you know, accommodation, restaurants, and of course the performances at the clubs that we worked at. We were taken care of very, very nicely. Amazing, and I remember knowing of Pushka. Uh, in sort of the late 90s, I think it still existed, you know, again, when I yeah. started going to raves and, it, and I knew about it happening in London and that it was a party. It was a whole sort of event experience that toured around and traveled and some of the hugest named DJs at the time. And you were in the thick of it. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Living large. It was amazing. And, and again, you know, it was expression, um, freedom of expression. Do you have a favorite story that springs to mind from your time traveling with Pushka? So this is Dinner and everything was on the house, but we were sort of like the attraction for other people to come to the restaurant. 
knows? It's like going to the Oscars and then going to the the, the event. It was never the Oscars. It was the party after the Oscars. Sure, of course. Yeah. So it was just really fabulous. At that time, I was young. So, yeah. I mean, I could just keep going and going and going. Like, I energized the rabbit. But I have to say that I kept a pretty level head and 100% good health. Yes. Not going yes. to speak about it because um, one of the things that I encountered that also helped to put me back on my feet was that's incredible. So you returned to New York in 2000 after having been in Europe for most of the 90s and then having spent time in Montreal. And so that was sort of the start of, a, of another chapter in your life. It was great to be back home. It was time. Two reasons. To reconnect with my family and the other one was to go to school so that I could start my own business. And I was able to accomplish both. And my family still holds witnesses, but you know, we were able to uh, appreciate where we both were and appreciate the decisions that we both made for our lives and um, and to respect that um, I have to give credit to the practice because it gave me the courage and the wisdom to be able to make that happen. I started uh, at FIT and while I was studying at FIT I was working um, during the day at the personal shop at Barney's New York that was about 8 years 2000-2008 hmm. and then um, 2009 I launched uh, my company um, Blank Child Design, which is formerly known as Boti by Blaine, but that was such a complicated title because I always had to explain Bo, it's French for beauty, T for transformation. And one of my clients was like, hey, you need to dumb that down. You need to like crystallize that. And <laughs> it's all about you. It's all about your name. So yeah. your name. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay. Blank Child Design. There you go. Boom. BCD. Yeah. And it's been great. Yeah. It's been really wonderful. Incredible. So that's been your focus for, for the last. 10 years and is still is still what you're focusing your energy on is your business yeah I mean when I was living uh, abroad I was always helping my friends with moving to their apartments and dressing for special occasions um, and that was just something that I had a knack for and and my roommate said you know you should kind of figure out a way to like monopolize on this because you should be getting paid and that was the <laughs> that was the the beginning of the, the you know the ball rolling for me to come back and um you know, study and really solidify this mission that I discovered through my human revolution. And the mission basically is just to really empower people and celebrate people. Mm-hmm. One of our um, one of our taglines is, "Why just wear a diamond when you can be one?" And um, uh, my other one that I love is turning overwhelmed into overjoyed. So um, mm-hmm. that kind of sums up what what BCD is all about. Blaine, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. It's wonderful to hear your voice, and I miss New York like crazy. We miss you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Radio Never Apart. And a huge thank you to Jack Fox in Vancouver for sound editing, as well as DJ Dickie Du in Berlin for the new theme music you heard here. We would love to hear your feedback and welcome suggestions for future features and interviews. Please reach out with the word podcast in the subject line via email and send it to info at neverapart.com. Until next month, this is your host, Jordan King. 